supported by the Depot Theater, the Adirondacks' only actors' equity-affiliated company. Physically distant, artistically connected, professionally produced. Learn more at depotheater.org. And by NCC Systems, a veteran-owned company protecting North Country businesses and homes for 48 years, offering cameras, security, fire alarms, and entry control. NCCSystems.com. This is North Country Public Radio. It's coming up on seven minutes past eight on this Friday morning. It's April 2nd. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. The state budget is a day late, and it's not clear what version of the plan lawmakers will pass. More on that in just a few minutes. But first, here's news from North Country Public Radio. State troopers will soon be wearing body cameras while on duty. The cameras are being deployed under a law signed by Governor Cuomo last year. 3,000 cameras will be phased into use over the coming months. Officers in the capital region are getting the first sets this month with the full rollout to be completed by the end of the year. State law requires the cameras be turned on for a wide range of police actions, including traffic stops, arrests, searches, and interactions with members of the public. The cameras will automatically start recording when an officer draws their service weapon. Acting Police Superintendent Kevin Buren said in a written uh, statement that he hopes body cameras will, quote, reinforce public confidence in state police. Cuomo has come under criticism for not including state law enforcement agencies in his executive order on police reform directed at municipalities. Those reform plans were due to the state yesterday, and you can read your community's plan at our website, ncpr.org. We're going to focus on tourism for the next few minutes. It's a huge part of the North Country economy, and it's been just over a year since the coronavirus pandemic changed almost everything about it here. The Canadian border closed, interstate travel dried up, and what visitors were looking for changed drastically. But as Amy Fierazel reports, businesses from the Thousand Islands to the Central Adirondacks did better than they'd feared. Last spring, for the first time in Mary Jane Lawrence's career in tourism, she found herself asking people to stay home. So that's kind of a new message for the travel industry. Don't come here. Lawrence is the COO of Roost, the regional office of sustainable tourism in the Adirondacks. She says COVID-19 put the brakes on tourism altogether. We came to a screeching halt in March, April, May, you know, and even most of June. We were closed. I mean, it wasn't slow. There, We were closed. And that was scary for a region so dependent on tourism. Then things started to pick back up. Lawrence says July 4th seemed to be a turning point. We saw travel that we really didn't intend to see, honestly. We saw a lot of new people coming into the region. It turned out, when summer rolled around, New Yorkers still wanted to travel. But unless they were willing to brave airports and quarantines, they had to look in-state, somewhere they could drive, preferably with low infection rates and lots of outdoor activities. Enter the North Country. Fresh air, open spaces, We checked all the boxes. People came, albeit late, to places like Alexandria Bay, where Cindy Durand operates the seasonal 20-room Rockledge Motel. Their tradition has always been to open in late May. We did not open up for Memorial Day weekend. First time in 29 years. Instead, they opened on June 10th, 
Overall, their revenue was cut in half in 2020, with a busy late summer somewhat making up for the spring. I do have to say August last year was probably one of our best months of August ever. Longtime tourism trends were totally disrupted. The big one, which the Rockledge Motel saw firsthand, was in the makeup of visitors. Durand says it was overwhelmingly New York license plates and lots of first-timers. People would come up to us and say, oh my God, this is the first time we've ever been to Alexandria Bay. And those first-time visitors were so important because the Canadian border was closed. Christy Kennedy is the director of tourism for the Adirondack Coast Visitors Bureau, right next to Lake Champlain. Normally, tourists from Quebec are their bread and butter. They make up I would say 80% of our tourism market. We target most of our campaigns towards. That's who we talk to. That's where our trade shows are. They're a big part of our audience. When they lost Canadians, Kennedy says they turned their marketing focus to the capital region in New York, hoping to attract new audience there. And they found it. It wasn't a record-breaking year, but New Yorkers came and stayed and spent money. We've wanted to open up to new markets. This kind of gave us an opportunity. You know, I will always say I'm a glass half full girl. I'm always going to be that person. I'm in tourism. Um, So I want to think this was an opportunity for us to bring in a new market. A solid summer rolled into a strong fall and a really strong winter. Mary Jane Lawrence from Roost says the good weather played in the region's favor. I mean, the weather was just absolutely perfect all summer long and even into the fall. Um, And our winter, I mean, we just had a tremendous amount of snow. Lawrence says overall, the rest of the year helped balance losses from the spring, especially in lodging. Essex County offers a snapshot. They were down in occupancy taxes in 2020, but only by 8%. Not great, but also not the expected catastrophe. We certainly in the Adirondacks had a strong season in compared to what we expected it to be. Of course, things weren't 8% down evenly across the board. Some businesses thrived while others flailed. Lawrence says high-end hotels and short-term vacation rentals, that includes Airbnbs, did extremely well in comparison to smaller lodging businesses. The Bark Eater Inn in Keene Valley saw both sides of that coin, says Megan Kirkpatrick, who operates the inn. There's been a bit of like a shift in where our, the guests are staying with more frequency. Kirkpatrick and her partner Tyler Nichols say the Bark Eater's standalone cabins have been more popular than their six-room inn. There's a certain safety people feeling being able to like self-check in. Yeah. Our, and it's never been booked this time of year. Like back to back to back to back, that one-bedroom cabin is booked. Back at Roost, Mary Jane Lawrence is looking to the upcoming summer season. She and other regional tourism folks are cautiously optimistic. You know, all indications are that, um, you know, people are booking earlier. People are still looking for, you know, the outdoor experience, the fresh air, the open spaces. Drive-to destinations are still high on the traveler's list. They're expecting more visitors from New York and immediately neighboring states. If the Canadian border reopens, that would be the cherry on top. I asked when Lawrence thought things would get back to normal, and her response was that it probably won't. You know, we talk about moving forward, but what will people feel like moving forward? Not like what will we be allowed to do or what will, you know, the vaccine will allow people to open this and open that. But it's hard to to go from stop to a sprint. Right. And so people are going to live in that world of 
you know, wanting to not be inside, not to want to be around crowds, not feeling comfortable without a mask. And some people will be like, okay, I'm done. Let's go. You know, and then there's going to be an in-between. The hope is that the North Country can cater to all those people. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. You're listening to the 8 o'clock hour here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8.15. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, we get ready for fly fishing season and check in with a few anglers. Plus, we'll get the weekend conditions in the Adirondacks from John Warren. All of that's coming up in just a few minutes here on the 8 o'clock hour. This hour's programming is supported by Barstow Subaru Potsdam, committed to the safety and security of all-wheel drive tales at barstowsubaru.com and by Adirondack Foundation hosting donor-advised funds for people who care about the Adirondacks and want to give back. Learn more at adirondackfoundation.org You're listening to The Curries out of Potsdam. lawmakers have yet to approve a budget that was due yesterday. For the first time in over a decade, there's no clear indication of when a spending plan might be passed. The state controller warns if the impasse lasts beyond next Monday, the paychecks of some essential state workers might be delayed. Karen DeWitt has more. On the first day of the new fiscal year, just one of 10 budget bills has been approved. Senate Print 2502B, Senate Budget Bill, an act making appropriations. The debt service bill was passed on the evening of March 31st. Senate Finance Chair Liz Krueger could not say when the remaining nine might be ready for passage. We have quite a few budget bills remaining to get done. We don't have them. Governor Andrew Cuomo has touted his track record of relatively on-time budgets during his three terms in office as a sign of properly functioning state government. This year, the governor is facing four major scandals, including multiple allegations of sexual harassment and accusations that he and his staff covered up the actual number of nursing home deaths during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cuomo has not spoken publicly, but his budget director, Robert Mujica, told Spectrum's New York One that the governor's troubles are not impacting the talks. The budget negotiations have been seamless, um, just like you know any other year. One of the major sticking points is a proposal backed by Democrats who lead the legislature to impose $7 billion in new taxes on New York's wealthy and on corporations. New York is receiving $12.5 billion in federal stimulus money, so the new revenues are not immediately needed. But Michael Kink with the Pro-Tax the Rich Strong Economy for All Coalition says the federal aid is a one-time cash infusion and it won't fund needed services in the future or help correct growing income inequality. Long-term investments in the communities that have been hardest hit by COVID are important right now. And we're not going to get that from a one-shot burst of federal funding. It takes 
recurring revenue, and it takes long-term investment. Kink says the state's estimated 120 billionaires have made over $100 billion in profits during the pandemic and can afford to pay a little more. Cuomo supports a $2 billion tax plan instead. He said that he worries that raising taxes too high on the wealthy will only cause them to leave the state, or at least change their primary residence to a lower-taxed locale. And he said the pandemic-driven trend toward working at home could mean more people will work remotely from other places. Mujica says the governor and lawmakers are trying to strike a balance that will grow the post-pandemic economy without hampering it. So that we don't reach a tipping point where instead of helping with the recovery, we're actually harming it. The Assembly and Senate also want to spend more than the governor. They'd like to increase education aid by $4 billion. It would fulfill a court order issued 15 years ago that said New York schools were severely underfunded. New York State United Teachers Union President Andy Pallotta says the money has been owed for too long. We also need to recognize that the state of New York has shortchanged public education for years. Lawmakers are also seeking up to $3.5 billion for a fund for unemployment payments and other services to undocumented New Yorkers who lost their jobs during the pandemic. Senator Samra Brook, a Democrat from the Rochester area, says many are frontline or essential workers who risk their lives to do their jobs during COVID. They are worth getting the same benefits and resources and supports to get out of one of the worst global pandemics we have ever seen and the worst economic crisis we have ever seen, and that they deserve those just as any other worker that's been included. State Controller Tom DiNapoli warned late Thursday that if the budget is not adopted by Monday, 39,000 state workers, many in health care and correctional facilities who've been frontline workers during the pandemic, may see their April 8th paychecks delayed. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Now we'll take a quick look at some North Country infrastructure. First, electrical transmission lines that cross the region will be rebuilt and modernized over the next five years. The New York Power Authority announced a deal to upgrade 100 miles of power lines that traverse the North Country and Western Adirondacks. Brian Gamel oversees clean energy development for National Grid, which will construct the new lines. He says the improvements set the stage for increased development of renewable energy in the region. This project will enable uh, that over 1,000 megawatts of incremental capacity we know that uh, the developers want to know where there is that, that capacity. And so this will allow that, that, that capacity be there 24-7 for, uh, for any energy. But, but we know in this particular area it would be prime for renewable development. National Grid says the project is slated to come online at the end of 2025. The state legislature passed a law last year requiring New York to get 70% of its electricity from renewables by 2030 and 100% by 2040. Also, the Plattsburgh Airport will receive almost $1 million in federal funds to improve facilities. A U.S. Department of Transportation grant will be used to fund improvements to ground surfaces like taxiways and to construct de-icing facilities. 
The airport has been owned and operated by Clinton County since 2002. It's located on the former Plattsburgh Air Force Base. It currently offers direct flights to Washington, D.C. and several destinations in Florida. The airport will be closed from mid-April through June for a previously scheduled repaving of the main runway. Listening to the 8 o'clock hour here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, get out your waders. We are getting ready for fly fishing. After that, stick around for Bird Note. A poet reflects on the people and the birds of Los Angeles. More on that in just a few minutes. Right now it's 23 degrees in Champlain and Hogansburg. 16 degrees in Lake Clear. 25 degrees in Sackets Harbor. 21 degrees in Osable Forks. We can expect sunny skies today along the uh, St. Lawrence Valley and along the St. Lawrence River. Cloudy in many other parts of the North Country with highs in the 30s today, but warming up over the next couple of days with sunny skies expected tomorrow and uh, maybe some clouds on Sunday. But for a more thorough look at the conditions in the Adirondacks, here's John Warren. This is John Warren from the New York Almanac with your look at outdoor recreation conditions around the Adirondacks for this first weekend of April. Temperatures have turned colder again after a substantial warm-up that saw some waters near, at, and above flood stage earlier this week. They have mostly returned to normal except in the central Adirondacks and high peaks where rivers and streams remain above normal. Stream crossings may be difficult or impassable in places again this weekend, especially in the afternoons. DEC has issued its annual mud season advisory and is asking hikers to refrain from hiking above about 2,500 feet, especially in the high peaks, Giant Mountain, Mackenzie Mountain, and Sentinel Range wilderness areas. This is the time when responsible hikers stick to lower elevation routes. The Lake George and Lake Champlain Valleys are good bets at this time of year. Check out the Cats and Lake George Land Conservancy trails. They will be less muddy and less crowded than they will be later in the year. If you're hoping to get some last ski turns in for the season, Whiteface and Gore both still have about a third of their terrain open. The only other downhill facility open will be West Mountain, just south of the Adirondack Park. The whole mountain will be open there this weekend, and they are hoping to have the north side open next weekend. Mount Van Hovenberg will reopen some of their legacy trails for this weekend, probably their last. All other cross-country ski facilities have closed for the season. Snowmobiling has also ended. The gates have been shut on backcountry access roads, which are typically closed for mud season. Much soft ice remains on local lakes and ponds, but most rivers are open and paddling is underway. Be sure to wear cold water protection, and PFDs are required in all small boats. Those are the local outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac. Online at newyorkalmanac.com. It's 825. This is the 8 o'clock hour. So with spring comes hope. And that's certainly true for anglers. Yesterday was the opening day for the trout season in the North Country. There's also hope that a major fly fishing tournament in Malone will be back on track this June after last summer's event was canceled due to the pandemic. The Hendrickson Hatch Fly Fishing Tournament on the Salmon River draws competitors from around the Northeast as well as Ontario and Quebec. 
North Country Public Radio's Mitch Tyke talked with three people helping put the 13th annual event together. Mary Scarf heads the Malone Revitalization Foundation. Bob Hudak is a longtime fishing guide and instructor. And Dr. Bill Latre is a Malone physician who has been working on the tournament since its founding. And Scarf says the tournament and the sport of fishing mean a lot to the city. Well, I'm really dedicated to Malone, and one of our major features and attractions is the Salmon River. It's important to maintain. So Malone Revitalization Foundation, one of its major goals is the health of the Salmon River. And we also want Malone to be more successful for tourism, and we believe fly fishing is a way to attract tourism to Malone. This is the 13th tournament. We usually have about 45 fishermen. We could handle up to 75. The fishing is great. The other types of activities that we're doing, we're still in progress because we must stay safe. And so we're finding ways to have other activities. But we don't want to not have the tournament again when, in fact, it's a healthy, healthy thing to be doing during the pandemic. Right. I know there there have been a lot of people to talk about how one of the things that they've really enjoyed doing throughout the course of the last year or so has been getting out and doing fishing because it is one of those activities that you can do safely while socially being socially distant from others. Well, yes, I'm a physician and socially distancing and wearing masks and washing hands and so on, big part of my life. When I'm on the stream, however, uh, I don't need to wash my hands. I don't need to wear a mask. And uh, socially distancing uh, is, is absolutely necessary if you want to get to a good spot and catch the big fish. Let, let me take a, a, a step back, if I can, for just a second. Um, for, for people who have maybe just a superficial knowledge and understanding of fly fishing, what makes the Salmon River especially good for it? All of the food that a fish eats is either in or on top of the water. More than 90% of the time, it's eating underneath the water. Less than 10% of the time, the fish are eating a bug or an insect that's floating on the top. It's called dry fly fishing, which is the most interesting form of fishing to most people. I'm a percentage guy, and I go with the 90%. So I'm kind of a a nymph fisherman uh, at heart. And the Salmon River, holding the number of aquatic insects that it does, the fish obviously have to eat whatever's there. And these these insects are there. The river has a reasonably healthy population of insects, as Bill mentioned. Um, The other thing that the Salmon River has are other species of fish, particularly minnows of various kinds. That preponderance of those fish, they're also called bait fish, gives trout an opportunity to grow very large. And fish can be caught underneath the surface on something imitating a minnow rather than an insect. And in fact, most trout streams are this way. And if you have a bait fisherman who is fishing a worm, for example, he's using some kind of a universal bait. There's just a universal attraction to a worm. And uh, a spin fisherman is usually using something that imitates a minnow. And then there are the fly fishermen who, who imitate the things that I just mentioned. And I can tell you that I've been on the river and fished successfully with nymphs, and I'd see bait fishermen. And they'd say, how was your day? And I'd say, 
caught a few because you never admit to more than that. <laughs> <laughs> and they really wouldn't catch many because it's not the natural food that's in the river all of the time. That's one of the exciting things about fly fishing, trying to match what the fish are after. And uh, I guess I'm a 10 percenter. I'll do that to the exclusion of anything else if I can get away with it. And I've found that on the Salmon River, you can entice big brown trout with a large fly that you keep moving on the surface. They'll come out and they'll whack at it. Uh, Sometimes you won't catch them. But to me, that's the most fun of fly fishing, fishing that surface. And I love it when I'm doing that. And there's a worm fisherman that's been there for probably five hours and hasn't discovered what a tug is yet. And uh, I'm catching fish after fish with a dry fly. It's just a great time. Well, and and I imagine for all of you, uh, after missing last year, it'll be it'll be a welcome sight to see uh, fishermen on the river during this tournament, and even even outside of the tournament days. Absolutely, yeah. The fishing population on the river changed this year because of the fact that the Canadians going to come across and fish the stream. Hopefully, we're looking forward to those guys being back, and hopefully, they'll be back by June so that they can get into the tournament, because they know that they enjoy it as well. That was fishing guide Bob Hudek, Malone physician Bill Latre, and the Malone Revitalization Foundation's Mary Scarp. They spoke with NCPR's Mitch Tyke. The Hendrickson Hatch Fly Fishing Tournament is scheduled for this June. It's 8.31. This is the 8 o'clock hour, supported by Cloud Splitter Foundation, making grants to improve the environment, economies, and lives of the people in the Adirondacks, online at cloudsplitter.org. And Gato Diablo Coffee Roasters Cape Vincent, supporting the environment with bird-friendly coffee from farms certified by the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, gatodiablo.coffee. And here's Bird Note. This is Bird Note. When writer Wendy S. Walters lived in L.A. in the early 2000s, she wrote a collection of poems about the city called The Birds of Los Angeles. And for one poem, she wanted to look at Tinseltown. I was thinking about this idea of the Hollywood romance and the ways in which people think that they're going to be walking into a movie about their life. And, you know, relationships are often much harder than that. Hollywood Finches. This story was buried behind a murder on the third page. A sudden husband is a tree that dances only for she, who reaches across the table and touches his new wife. How she flinches, then forgets to close the birdcage. A house finch expects her neglect and is ready to flee. A house finch reflects her regret and runs for his life. He heads for the sea, but stops first to steal a piano. She thinks this proves that trees have no place in me and sets off after the mighty finch to escape the strife of matrimony. A Nickelodeon is a blurred stage, but the husband studies newsreels for his dynamo, proof she existed. Poof. Cut to a piano that sits on the shore, alight with corpulent flocks of soprano. They sing of unlucky romance, how to live without it. You can hear more of Walters' poetry on our website, birdnote.org. I'm Mark Brandon. 
Before we head off, we want to remind you to tune in at lunchtime today for North Country Bookmarks. In today's April episode, host Jessica Lawrence speaks with author Diane Ream, and it promises to be a wonderful, genuine conversation. You can hear it today between noon and one o'clock right here on North Country Public Radio. Or if you miss it, no trouble. This North Country Bookmarks is a podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. That's today between noon and one. Until Monday, I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Be well.